my America, everyone gets free Twinkies with their healthcare. It's not very good for my waistline, but it will be very good for the Twinkie industry. <laughs> in my first day in office, I will outlaw every super pack except for the Twinkie super pack. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to get your campaign off the ground? You know, I, I've thought about it and like, I really have wanted to, and I realized there's two major restrictions in the way. I mean, I wasn't born here, so that's one, which kind of sucks. Can't really do much with that. Actually, you can. I can be everything but president, which is pretty cool. Like, who yeah. would want to be president anyway? But also... What? No, let's be honest. Who would want to be president? You want to be president? Are you serious? I'll be president. That'll probably surprise you. Dude, every five-year-old in America wants to be president. That's true, because when you're five, you don't realize all the stuff that comes with it. And my dog just walked away. You think if I rustle the chips, she'll come back? Yeah, rustle the chips. You're right. Oh, uh, there she goes again. Are you ready for your close-up? So you were saying um, the presidents, um, why would I ever, would I ever consider yeah, having like, a campaign? Know, every every five-year-old in America wants to be president. Yeah, I'd say that's true. And then like you realize you're going to turn 20 and then you read about all this stuff about like, what does it take to have a campaign in the United States? And you're like, I really don't want to have a campaign anymore. At least if you're someone like me, man, that's, that's such, that's, you just broke every five-year-old's hearts out there. I know half of you have X'd out by this point. You're assuming there was like a half to begin with. I guess that doesn't really make sense either. There's always a half like, well, maybe if it's one person, then half of that person See, That'd be kind of difficult. See, see this? Yeah. This is this is the dead horse. Mm -hmm. And this is you. This is oh, you right now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Man, yeah. That's uh, that's tough. Yeah, that actually really hurt. I bet it hurt almost as much as my wallets. Now that I'm financing my own campaign. Really? How you are you heard finance, it here first? You're financing your own campaign. I'm financing my own campaign. You know why? Because I'm not one of those dirty political sleaze bags up on the hill doing all this shady business wait 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 how did you get so are you like getting a cut of this podcast revenue that i don't know about i i there there's all sorts of things you don't know about and we're gonna keep it that way here's what i will say there's a lot of reasons there's a lot of reasons why i'm doing it this way let's talk about it let's talk about why i'm financing my own campaigns yeah why, why are you running a campaign in the first place that's 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 a good point because I know I said I didn't want to do it, but yeah. there's there's look now I contain multitudes. I'm full of contradictions, and that's okay because not only do I oh want no. to not well listen. You're turning into another one of America's most beloved Make politicians. America political again. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. Dramatic pause. I'm yeah. I'm moved. Put it back on the table. I'm I want to talk moved. about politics, mom, dad. Um, I, I just want to do it. I'm sick and tired of having no idea how any of this stuff works. Yeah, me too. Me too, man. I'm okay. with you there. Well, here's what I will say. Okay, we'll we'll get into it. Yeah. I just need to take a breather. If you if you were to hypothetically get your campaign started, what's the first thing you would do? You know, the first thing that I would do is I would reach out to people because I want a team. You know, I want to build uh, a solid team. That's uh, that's that's gonna have my back. Coalition buzzword buzzword right there. You want a coalition? 
a, a coalition a coalition what's a coalition you know like everyone's throwing that word around you know like i don't know what a coalition it's like is. a strong network of people that you want around you the right people to create the platform that you want you know like people that can reach out for things like technology and marketing fundraising you know stuff like that like so a coalition is going to help me build my campaign basically it's gonna help you develop some support and um that's the number one thing like when you're getting a campaign started say you're nobody you know a no-name person Mm -hmm. for example a social studies teacher no connections in the political sphere yeah but you just really want to get into politics Mm -hmm. i bring this up because this actually happened there was this social studies teacher his name was something bowman but he jamal bowman jamal bowman not something bowman oh so you know who i'm talking about yeah okay yeah. Mad, mad respect for this mad respect for the social studies teacher but well why don't you tell the story you seem pretty passionate about it okay um so jamal bowman he was a social studies teacher and nobody really knew about him until a couple of months ago when he started running for congress and uh he he's, he was previously involved in a lot of activist groups and stuff like that but then uh when he finally decided he was going to launch his campaign he got an endorsement from Justice Democrats. And uh, after he got that endorsement, he kind of like built a a very strong team. And uh, he went on to beat Elliot Engel, who kind of ruled that district before he came in. And that was like a political insider that that he beat. So that's pretty wild, right? Like, so this guy has like no political experience, but he's got friends because he was active politically before. So, so he's like, you know, he's, he's talked to people and he knows who to talk to and bring it back to that word. Um, he formed the right types of coalitions and, uh, that's, I mean, that's, I guess the most important part of starting your campaign as, as a nobody, right? Exactly. There was this other story of this guy, Madison Cawthorn. Sure. You heard of him, right? So he's like 25 years old, no political experience, but he wanted to get into that, into that world. Oh yeah. And, um, I think this was in a district in North Carolina, mm-hmm. but he ran as on the Republican ticket and uh, actually ended up beating um, Trump's pick mm-hmm. for that district yeah. in, in, in a primary vote. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive, right? So the president endorsed the other guy mm-hmm. and Madison Cawthorn, this 25-year-old dude, no experience, comes mm-hmm. in out of nowhere. Yeah. And how does he win? He does it by forming local coalitions, local politics, reaching out to the right people, you know, like school teachers, uh, residents in the community. Um, and, and like, I guess like promoting the collective voice of like real people on like a really grassroots local level was his strategy. Uh, and, and that's how he's going to do it. Maybe he'll win the the general too. Who knows? Yeah. His story is like mind blowing because if he does end up winning, he's going to become the youngest guy to, to be a congressman. Um, He's only like, what, ever, like right? 20, 25 yeah, or exactly. something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so his story is insane. But then another insane story is uh, Lauren Bo- Bobert, I believe is how it's Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And so um, she was. She also had uh, an upset kind of in her district where she kind of came out of nowhere and she just started running. And she used these similar tactics that we've ta- been talking about that Bowman used and that, um, that uh, Madison used and she was able to use these tactics and kind of launch her own campaign and have success in the similar way. She came into the public spotlight when she first confronted former U.S. Representative uh, Beto O'Rourke. A lot of political clout. Mm-hmm. And for like um, this Bovert girl, 
mm-hmm. to like so what she did is like challenge him openly at like at an, at events and this was like highly uh publicized and she would hold these rallies and really engage with people uh in a very direct way so that was again like really uh forming coalitions and strong groups of people uh that can get behind you from like uh very direct contact that's like the moral of the story i guess yeah definitely and you need to be really savvy in terms of how you budget because you're going to be if you're if you're trying to make do an upset like this you're going to have a limited budget that you're working with because most of your fundraising is going to come from grassroots people yeah and so you want to be very cautious about where you allocate your money you also want to be very savvy towards how you market what events you plan make sure you're very uh very efficient with the usage of your money but um also, you know, you want to play very strategically in the sense that you really only need more votes than uh, your competitor, right? You don't need to like aim to like get everybody. But yeah, yeah. I mean, in essence, you'd, you'd want to get as many people as you can because you want to uh, adequately represent them. But in reality, you know, it's uh, like voter turnout is very difficult. Um, so you, you got to be strategic with it. You, right? have, to you have to be to, very strategic. Yeah. 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 You got to like look at like not not just who are my constituents and mm-hmm. and like how will i represent the interests of everyone in this district which as a legislator should be your main motivation but also like who's going to come out to vote yeah who's gonna who are going to be the people that i actually have to um i guess appeal to is the right way to to phrase it um and and i think you you, you said it in like a pretty accurate way that you just have to get more votes than the other guy and what does that look like well first you look at what the turnout numbers were for like the past several elections, you know, cause different, different regions are going to be, have a different amount of political involvement. That's just the way it goes. So you look at the turnout numbers for the last few years. Uh, you look at the demographics of like, not only how many people are coming out, but who are these people? Mm-hmm. Uh, and who are the people that have voted for candidates similar to me in the past? And how can I reach them? Or if these demographics are changing, how can I, switch up my message a little bit to um, capture that change in vote. And so these are all really strategic things that um, campaign managers and candidates do all the time. And is it's critical for an election. You know, it's not just, can I get my message across, but can I get it across to the right people, you know? Oh, yeah. And um, it's it's also, you know, like much of campaigning is, is really like, a, a, it's kind of like a show you put on because... Um, even like, you know, uh, when, when Obama was in office, I, I'd often hear him say, you know, like, we're not campaigning anymore. Like he talked to like, like his political rivals or stuff like that. Or if he was in yeah. a meeting with John McCain, yeah. he'd just flat out be like, we're not campaigning anymore. The campaign's over. Right. And so, um, what is like a, a lot of campaigning is really like a showmanship to kind of not only like get your, your facts across, but it, it's more of just like letting people know what you're about and then once you actually are able to use that campaigning strategy to get into office then you can actually start right. implementing those yeah things it's like let's get down to business you know like show's over guys let's go home and and do the real work yeah uh and and yeah you're right like i do remember him very directly saying like folks like campaign's over we don't gotta like we don't talk like this and we can just move forward um you know and it can go as far as something like uh, Hillary and Obama had, or or Mrs. Clinton, I should say, and Obama had a very, a very intense campaign in two thousand and eight. Uh, all sorts of attack ads against each other and stuff like that. And 
certainly it wasn't it wasn't it's not comparable to like how vile politics have gotten in 2020 but it was still pretty adversarial right um mm-hmm. but immediately after the campaign was over um they just stopped bad mouthing each other they're friends again and what do you know uh obama offers uh hillary um a very important spot secretary of state and you know the rest is history but that just kind of gives you an idea of the way these political games work uh it, it's a lot for show and it's a lot for um for moving the campaign along you know like people love people love a good plot a really thick rich plot with lots of twists and turns and if you don't like if you don't hype things up and and put on this show you know put on this like competitive mask then your campaign just will not be as strong so that is something that they do and you know like one of the the biggest masks that exists in campaigning are packs you know uh for mm. like, especially for campaign financing because yeah. um you know maybe like there's pack interest everywhere well um, what is a what is a pack why don't you uh, break that down for us first true yeah i should definitely do that so in the united states a political action committee is a 527 organization which basically means that it's an organization that one creates in order to pool funds to contribute to right. campaign financing mm-hmm. and so there's different kinds of packs. There's like your regular standard pack and then there's your super pack. And I think the main difference between the two is that in a super pack, you can contribute unlimited amounts. Mm. But in a pack, I think there's like a limit. Yeah, yeah. It's super regulated. And um, so packs have been around for a while. The The political action committee, that idea has been around for a really long time, since like uh, as early as the 1940s. And the idea is just that... Uh, as as an entity, as an individual, or, or like a group of individuals, you should be able to support candidates um, in a way that you choose, whether it's uh, monetarily or through um, uh, commercials, stuff like that. And so there there's caps on how much money you can um, you can generate for a campaign. Those caps are set at around five thousand dollars per individual, and I think fifteen thousand dollars if someone is interested in donating to uh to a whole party um the super PACs are the interesting ones and highly controversial there's all sorts of uh stuff that we can get into about those but basically what super PACs are about is that in in 2010 there was this landmark supreme court case uh um, what is it citizens citizens united versus um why am i blanking on this citizens united versus fec maybe Federal Elections Committee. Yeah, I, I think I think I think that's what it was. But anyway, there's this mm-hmm. um, conservative think tank group called Citizens United, and what happened is that they wanted to run some uh, anti-Hillary ads uh, shortly before the primary, and I, I like the current legislation says that you can't run any type of uh, you you can't do anything that affects an election within 30 days of that federal election. So obviously, if you're running like like smear commercials before the election within 30 days, that's that counts as, as violating that law. So they sued, they went to court, and the Supreme Court made the decision that, no, that's a violation of your First Amendment rights, that saying that a, a corporation or a group isn't able to uh, run that type of commercial would be imp- like an imposition on the First Amendment. So that was important for a couple of reasons. 
Uh, number one, it created this idea that corporations are also folks. They're also people, right? Because when you think about like protecting people's First Amendment rights, you think about the, the right to express an individual's or, or like a collective's opinion, free speech. You don't think about something like a corporation's ability to finance an election or commercials. So there's this very strange conflation and highly controversial conflation between people and corporations, number one. Uh, and number two, it basically, that's what opened the door for super PACs. A super PAC is a PAC that has an unlimited amount of money that they can um, fin help finance other candidates' elections for. So a lot of controversy. Yeah, and you know, uh, ultimately, super PACs are like, so So I guess to start off with, uh, the Federal Elections Committee or Commission um what it does is it bars corporations from being able to fund uh, campaigns directly. Directly, yeah, yeah. So super PACs are just like this thing that was created for corporations to be able to funnel their money through. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I mean, I don't really understand why you would bar a corporation and then just tell them, mm. okay, you can't contribute, but you can form a super PAC and contribute. Like... Well, what is, yeah. what is even going on it's there? It's really weird. I, I guess we should be a little more clear about how this works. It could be a little confusing. So the corporate, so what will happen is that corporations obviously have a lot of vested interests. Corporations kind of control everything that's happening in society indirectly through politicians. So, for example, like a company like, like Coke or Pepsi will have their own interests and they want certain legislation to be passed. And how do they go about doing this uh, in a legal way? Um, and, and that's super PACs. So they can't give, they can't just write a check for a politician. That's illegal. Uh, and that would be, that would constitute directly financing a campaign. But what they can do is join or form a super PAC, uh, and then funnel money into that. And that super PAC will, uh, independently in air quotes, independently in air quotes, um, campaign on behalf of the candidate. So, for example, a lot of these commercials that you see uh, on TV or online, they're not actually um, sponsored by the candidate. They're created by super PACs. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's advertising. That's campaigning. I don't know how that can be argued as, like, indirect support, but uh, these super PACs will create these commercials independently, again, in quotes, of, of the candidates and will campaign on their behalf. Yeah, and you know, I was reading this uh, analysis from the Washington Post, and it says uh, nearly half of all super PAC money comes from just 50 donors. And and uh, we're talking about large sums of money here. And so... Like hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, like, the, the people who are funding the majority of these campaigns, they're, like, nowhere near, like, the average, like, U.S. citizen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can definitely tell from that that um, there's a lot of influence in these elections that, that isn't necessarily uh, reflecting our interests, which is probably a major reason why oftentimes we'll feel so disconnected mm. from, from the politicians who are representing yeah. us because in order to get to the place where they've gotten, they've had to like mingle with all these people who are going to give them the finances. Right. And so... You know, ultimately, when it comes down to it, it's just like it's it's the campaign finance law 
that a lot of the times kind of just messes with us just because it's one of the it's like talked about but nothing really is done about it and like it's it's not there was literally a supreme court case that that we just talked about that makes this stuff legal and it's so entrenched in our political system that people people talk a lot about for example um uh like identity politics might take up like 80 percent of the of, of like social media uh fervor about like political action when which is important but stuff like this stuff like this where where a very small number of very rich and powerful people can indirectly control the political livelihood of, of all of capitol hill that's really what we should be paying most of our attention to that's what's affecting us on a daily basis uh this is a little bit tangential but all this stuff like like identity politics and stuff, it's almost like a, a distractor from these really real ways that uh, our lives uh, and livelihoods are completely governed by the interests of a few very rich and wealthy people uh, through a legal system. Once again, like the Supreme Court approved this system. Um, and just to put it into perspective, I like that quote, that analysis from WAPO about how half of, half of all uh, campaign financing was done by... Uh, 50 people you said yeah so for example someone like like uh trump his campaign has raised i think close to 50 million dollars so far and that's that's so far like they're they're getting started they're gonna ramp that up so 25 million of that 50 came from a small handful of people so that that should show you how much money these people can funnel into their the candidates they choose and this happens on both sides democrats republicans uh and everyone in between uh uses super PACs to their advantage yeah and you know we've uh i'm sure we've all heard of the coke brothers you know oh yeah gotta uh, love them always in the news always in the media um but you know there's so many we we only really hear mostly about the coke brothers but there's uh so many other uh organizations corporations and just like uh union influence as well um but you know ultimately what it comes down to is is the campaign finance law that exists so we're kind of in this cycle where continuously we're just depending on these sources to finance campaigns because that's the way that the legislation is set and that's the way continuously these organizations and these corporations that do campaigns this way want them to function so that they can keep on having that influence mm. and and it's kind of just in this dead end cycle where we try to get legislation passed to regulate campaign financing mm -hmm. so that they don't have as much of a hand in these matters. But we just keep failing because of the money and the influence they already have. We're, we're kind of having a very difficult time uprooting that mm. system. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's once again, it's just entrenched into the way that we view politics and uh there is this there's this other analysis i was looking at about uh alternative systems to the way that we currently have um I, this is kind of off script i guess but um might as well mention it so there's this so so like what we could do as an alternative to well i guess before i talk about alternatives i should talk about like there's a we're criticizing the fact that we have super PACs a lot but there's also some reasons why it it might be considered a good thing uh, number one being um, the argument that maybe corporations that uh, operate at a very high level and are like highly influential in our daily lives, maybe they should have uh, a say in 
the types of important legislation that might help them be better corporations and uh, serve society better. And that's a really moralistic argument. I, I, I don't think I personally have faith in corporations to um, not abuse a law like that, but that could be one argument. Um, the second argument is that, say we don't have PAC, say we have an alternative system where, for example, um, everybody, every individual is given a little bit of money, uh, a voucher, that, and they can, they can give that voucher to whoever they want, whichever political party they want, and, and that's the way political donations work. Well, you say, you say, okay, like that might be a good idea, but then think about how easily coalitions can form and how easily one group can tell its entire constituency, oh, spend your voucher this way. For example, uh, say you're part of like AARP, the insurance company or something like that. And AARP will tell you, okay, employees, uh, I want you to use your voucher like this. That's in the company's interest. Well, that's kind of like a pack too. That's kind of like a super pack too. So there's all these... Um, all these issues with like all of the systems. Uh, so something's already always going to come up, but I, I, I definitely think that the way it's currently set up, power is, is consolidated way too much in the hands of a few. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. And you know, um, in recent news, we've all heard about the Russian hacking and um, Trump's claims that TikTok is apparently spying on us. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I don't know the validity of those claims uh, about TikTok spying on us and whether TikTok needs to be banned or not, but it's definitely... Well, that was actually super scary. Yeah. 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 Uh, so many of us have TikTok downloaded on our phones. TikTok's so much fun to use, honestly. It's um, super fun. Okay. Like I, I was ripping on it before I started using it, before I was scrolling on it for literally like an hour before bed, I would literally, I would make fun of everybody because you know it started out as this really stupid thing called musically i don't know if you like this might be a little are we getting into a history lesson of tiktok now like <laughs> it's important what's going on it's a, it's a, it's going to be in the supreme court i'm telling you uh, really? trump's tweeting about I, I think so i think there's a lot of um really freaky political stuff going on with it right now but mm. but anyway it is kind of fun back to my main point um and i'll be i'll be sad to see it go but like i said like the amount of information that they collect is is pretty scary. Like, uh, I I think they like they can know the content of your messages and will advertise to you accordingly. That's a little scary, and that's all within the user policy agreement and stuff like that. In fact, it's so scary that um that members of Congress and like any federal employee has been instructed to delete it off of all their kids' phones. You know, and if the government is saying something like that, I'm a little freaked out. That's it. That's that's my two minutes on TikTok. Wait, so how do we like look out to make sure, you know, like, because so far it sounds like every everyone other than the average U.S. citizen has control has over control. <laughs> who gets a... I, exactly, exactly. The, and the Chinese through like TikTok, Russians through their Facebook hacking, corporations through super PACs. Like, exactly. How, how, how do we like, how do we look out for these things? No, and, and I really liked how, how you found a way to tie my rant back into this. It's very relevant. Um, that's, that's the question, right? How do you feel empowered in a world designed to make you feel disempowered once you start looking into it? They give you an illusion of control, right? They tell you, okay, like you vote, your interests will be represented, you know, democracy. Uh, Ooh, now we're getting into those conspiracy theories. Well, I, it, it, the more you look into it, 
the less it sounds like a conspiracy. But we we won't get we we're we're not we're not gonna go into Alex Jones territory. Um, uh, all I'm saying that'll be some fun territory to explore. Though. We in the future we'll see how these ratings go right now, and in the future we'll go there. But all I'm saying, and and the point that like this whole podcast, especially this episode, is trying to make, is that you oftentimes don't have the type of control you think you have. If you take the time to look into these things yourself and and get an idea of the way that these systems were built and the way that they're set up, and then vote for people who actively want to dismantle them, or at least have a better idea, then that's the true, that's like the best way forward in terms of making people feel empowered and um, kind of like ending this idea that democracy is a joke, because that's... That's an idea that's thrown around a lot, and it's dangerous in some ways in that it it makes people, especially young people, highly impressionable people like us, feel disillusioned with with the the country and the values that the country was built upon. And to me, that's that is scary because I I'm proud to be American. I love the principles that this country was uh, founded upon in the Declaration of Independence, in the Constitution. And these are values and virtues I think we should strive towards. Rather than feeling so disillusioned with the the current system and just feeling like we have no choice but to throw it all away, you know, like turn our back on America and American values, I think we should do the opposite. We should realize that what's happening is a deviation from American values. This is not what the founding fathers had in mind when they wrote all those documents, you know? So for the sake of American democracy, it's, it's imperative that we, that we do our due do, do diligence to uh, the research it takes to know how can we elect people that are going to make sure that representation happens in all the ways that we talked about before. Yeah, you know, and uh, another huge way that influence comes into play, other than the PACs that we've been talking about for so long, it's, it's so similar, but it's called lobbying. And I'm sure you've heard of that term, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and like they're almost in inextricable lobbying and, and packs. Yeah. I guess a lobbyist would be like the individual human equivalent of a pack. Like, why don't you tell us what a lobbyist does just day to day? For sure. So, you know, lobbying is like a job that you can have. Like, like you, you can be like a teacher or you can be a uh, salesman or you can be like a lobbyist ah, uh, yes every five-year-old's dream to be a lobbyist to be a lobbyist to really? work on capitol hill to cozy up with all those politicians sleaze bags fly them around on your private jets who wouldn't want to do that you know oh let's not come on there's some we don't have to be that hard on lobbyists now do we i you know i would i don't think i was hard i you know how i feel about this i get pretty heated about lobbyists uh but there's there's good lobbying too. There's there's good lobbying yeah. done, you know, like the ACLU, their lobbying group. But we're we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. We should just like be objective and talk about um, the purpose of lobbyists, I guess. And essentially, uh, like you said, it's just like any other job, uh, and you're hired by a special interest group, which is basically a fancy way of saying any type of organization or company or union or, or political group, anything like that. They'll hire you and they'll have specific interests. For example, um, 
the the NRA National Rifle Association has specific interests, and they'll hire lobbyists that will basically sell these interests to politicians. Um, not literally, not literally. Uh, just pretty close to literally, though. Pretty like, pretty close um, to literally, yeah. There's there's uh so the the largest law the largest corporations or organizations that do lobbying are the National Association of Realtors. Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, American Hospital mm. Association, mm. and the Pharmaceutical mm. Research and Manufacturers of America. So, okay, so what are these organizations trying to achieve out of lobbying? Basically, they are hiring these lobbyists, and these lobbyists are going uh, and developing relationships with congressmen. And basically what their ultimate at the end of the day objective is, is was I able to get these congressmen to get legislation on the floor and get legislation passed that favors my organization or corporation? Mm. So, you know, like um, uh, National Association of Realtors, they'd be looking for uh, legislation to get passed that would help them. In, in the real estate industry, one of the most influential industries in America that lobbies is the pharmaceutical industry. Mm. So if you look at the price that medicine is sold for in the United States compared to the price that sem the same medicine is sold for in other countries, you're going to see that in the U.S. there's a huge profit margin yeah. placed on the pricing. Yeah. And the reason that they're able to do these huge profit margins is because they know that, you know, people are willing to pay any amount yeah. for medicine. They'll pay whatever they need to, right? Yeah. yeah. And and they completely like exploit this fact and, and pharmaceutical companies hire lobbyists, send them to Congress and get them to pass legislation that allows them to have these insane profit margins and rip off people who are in dire need of medication. Yeah, it, it's it's one of like for me this isn't even like a left right or middle thing like the the way that big pharma uses lobbying to 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 get what it wants and to uh completely turn healthcare into this capitalistic really like hegemonic thing is it's pretty just universally disgusting I think. Um, and the way that these lobbyists work is also, it's almost shocking when you realize that the, the way that policy is written and that legislation is introduced onto the floor via or via, um, lobbyists, it's, it's a lot about who can you schmooze up to, who can you, um, who can you like cozy up to and become friends with and, uh, turn into a familiar face, you know, make some jokes, have some banter, uh, grab, grab coffee, you know, these are the, these are the ways that policy is actually introduced, which is kind of mind blowing to me. Cause you would think that in a society, if you, if you want some just laws, then what you're going to do is have uh, a completely objective group of people, uh, analyzing all the problems that exist. This sounds like pretty structural and, and big, but just bear with me. So people should be like analyzing what are society's problems and how can we solve them? Rather, these interest groups are sending literal cronies to Capitol Hill to become friends with politicians, to take them out to fancy dinners, fancy lunches, invite them out on their on their private jets to their private villas in in Key West, in the Caribbean, stuff like that, um, and you know become all buddy buddy up with them and 
sometimes make promises. Sometimes say things like, if you um, move this policy forward, we'll create a super PAC on your behalf. Uh, quid pro quo, tit for that, uh, tit for tat, stuff like that. Um, that rhymed, but you know, it's that's that's the way that a lot of really major things are done, and it's especially in pharma. Mm-hmm. Lobbying has turned pharma into a a completely profit driven field. You know, almost like when you think of pharma, you want it to be like okay, that's healthcare. Not really. It's more like banking or finance in my head when I think of pharma now because of the way that lobbying uh, has has just changed it. Yeah, and you know, um, there's that story that you know about um, Abramoff and McCain and that whole episode. Why mm. don't you say a little bit about that? Oh yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a great example of uh, the way lobbying worked on Capitol Hill. So there was this guy Abramoff, and uh, he was hired to represent the interests of um, this this tribe of Native Americans in uh, I think it was Missouri, uh, Missouri Valley, that whole region. But this was a pretty successful uh, group of Native American people, and um, they they were big in the casino business. So they hired Abramoff uh, as a lobbyist to go against this bill that would tax casinos, essentially. And Abramoff, I think in the period of uh, two, three years that he was in consultation with uh, these peoples, I think he was paid over close to $50 million. So there's a lot of money in for the lobbyists also. Um, but like I said, like I was saying, like he successfully was able to have that bill defeated through all sorts of lobbying. Uh, and then the most ironic thing about all of this is that the way the story ends really shows you that a lot of lobbyists are in this simply, uh, to exchange as an exchange of services, simply to capitalize on opportunities. So, um, the people that were going against Abramoff, uh, for example, McCain's uh, McCain's campaign team, um, who were proponents of this casino tax levy, they investigated him, did all sorts of lobbying themselves, and it was revealed that uh, in some emails, Abramov said all sorts of really terrible things about his Native American clients, calling them like morons, monkeys, really derogatory, terrible stuff like that, and that just shows you that I mean they don't care about their clients, they don't they don't really do this because they care about people they do it because there's a $50 or $50 million check in it for them you know so not only do organizations try to represent themselves in government through lobbying or through PACs there's also certain very wealthy individuals who make uh contributions uh of very very large amounts like uh George Soros Tom Steyer Jeff Bezos Richard and Elizabeth who is this? You, you, <laughs> some you really mind? rich people. Yeah, some really rich people, and clearly they're not interested in being famous because what the heck does that even say? I don't know. I've never seen that name, but these people are super powerful, and that's the point. Yeah, and they, I mean, they're okay with being hidden and unseen because, I mean, if you were like, if you were secretly the one who's calling all the shots, uh, through this like whole mastermind type thing. Why would you want people to know who you are, you know? I guess everyone knows Jeff Bezos, obviously. Um, but in general, these are all like very wealthy individuals who are in in some ways kind of running the show from backstage. Another huge player in campaign financing is the union sponsorships. So mm. 
labor unions uh, can have a huge, huge influence yeah. uh, on which way an election goes, depending on which way they yeah. tend to throw their money. Yeah, th those are really big. Uh, you know, what comes to mind are like teachers unions, um, coal miners, like workers associations, stuff like that. Those have all played huge roles uh, in elections. And, you know, there's this... Well, I guess, so we should just define a union, I guess. And it's it's what it sounds like, and it's pretty common. Uh, it's just a coalition of people who band together through a mutual interest. Typically, uh, what comes to mind are labor unions, um, where people are uh, interested because of their shared profession. Um, already talking about teachers, there's like auto, auto unions, all sorts of stuff like that. But what comes to mind is... Um, this new Netflix movie, it it had uh, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci. You re you remember this one? It's really uh, new. The Irishman. Oh, so that's well, actually yeah. yeah, that's about that, unions. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's, uh, that's by that uh, acclaimed director, Scor Scorsese. Yeah, Scorsese. that that little guy. Yes. Yeah. Um, wonderful you, movie, but it's just so long. It's so long. It I just, remember there was this one scene where it's literally like. Uh, Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro, and Joe Pesci just asking Robert De Niro if he slept well. Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. He's like, you want some cereal? And Robert <laughs> De Niro's like, the cereal's good. Yeah, you know, like you they watch They spend 10 minutes on a scene like that. <laughs> yeah, and it, it feels hey, like... If you can watch that for 10 minutes... You can watch us. You can watch us. <laughs> I'm I'm so happy you guys are still with us I at know. this point. Um, so we made hit, it mom. hit the, hit the like button, like, and subscribe button to yeah. be complete. Yeah. I swear that movie is like watching a still life or something. <laughs> 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 yeah. But anyway, um, labor unions, they influence, they're highly influential. Um, especially the, the bosses, uh, who have collective, um, collectivized, they have collectivized the interest of all the members. Uh, they're lobbyists. They they have all sorts of friends, take them out to dinner, uh, who are in Congress, all sorts of stuff like that. Same thing as professional lobbyists. So uh, definitely also super influential. Mm -hmm. So uh, once you kind of compile all this information together, you know, today's episode has kind of maybe left you feeling very powerless in the sense that, oh, wow, like I'm so minuscule in the grand scheme of things. A cog but, in the machine, as they say. But, you know, like ultimately when it comes down to it, yeah, like you know about all these things, but you, you want to actively, the reason that we tell you these things and the reason we want you to know about them is because we don't want you to remain blind and, and just, just kind of go along with this game that they're playing. Mm. Once you become aware of these things, you can actually actively look out and see like, oh, okay, this union is sponsoring this candidate for these reasons. Mm. And this doesn't only happen on the federal level. These, these things happen on Local level Every as level. well. I mean, yeah. we're offering you the red pill. That's basically what we're doing here. So, or was it the blue pill? I haven't seen The Matrix. I, uh, I think it's the red pill. We're giving them uh, the red pill. This is your wake-up call. Yeah. Wake up, sheeple. That was a, yeah, it was a little aggressive, but mm. point but, being... But, you know, like, you know, once you, once you get to know about these things, look out for them, and then when you're participating in elections... Just be aware of them and try to support those candidates who say that uh, they 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 align with your interests most. Because it, it could be even the fact that maybe some union, maybe some big union is sponsoring the candidate that you feel represents you the best. Right. But you have to watch out and make sure they're not tricking you by saying things you want to hear, but then in the back end kind of like 
looking out for these people who are funding them more exactly which can happen very often it happens it's so easy you know you you turn on the tv and you'll watch a debate or you'll see a commercial and these politicians will say all sorts of they can say whatever they want essentially and get off scot-free so just make sure that the people who you're watching on tv make sure that their words align with the the decisions they make in terms of um the the lobbyists that they'll hear because this is public information in many cases so do your due diligence do your research on on who are these politicians talking to what interests do they represent uh, because that's effectively who you're putting into power you're not putting into power the the sound bites that you hear on cnn or fox news or whatever you're putting into power the friends of the people you're voting for that's that's kind of the way that system's been set up oh yeah definitely and you know when you see that these unions, these corporate corporations and these huge organizations are putting so much money into campaigning, that should tell you that, you know, there's these people definitely have a very, very large effect on on everything around you. Yeah. So yep. there you, you can also look out for there's a lot of grassroots uh, candidates emerging who are kind of saying that I'm not going to take uh, money from unions, I'm not going to take money from corporations, I'm not taking money from PACs. And their campaigns are largely like grassroots funded by just average individuals. And it's definitely very hard for them to keep up in in like the campaigns. It's impossible. It's almost impossible, you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because, you know, how are you going to do it? But the thing is, is that more often than not, since their ca campaign contributions are mainly coming from uh, individuals who are representing a larger proportion of like the population yeah. in terms of like class and they they have interests of more people oftentimes better represented not right. always right. but you know oftentimes so right. it's uh it's always good to be on the lookout and uh support candidates this way and this way you could maybe even get a few more candidates uh, running who would be better reflective right. of what you're looking for. Right. And I, I guess we'll close with um, going back to the, 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 the one of the first things we talked about, about feeling disempowered, knowing all of this information. So the thing about that is that the idea of feeling disempowered comes from the fact that... Um, we are all just people, you know, it's, it's just me. When you read all this information and understand the way that the system works, you, you think to yourself, I'm just me, what can I do? And which is kind of true, like what can one person do? But the moral of the story and, and one of the things we want our viewers to take away from this is uh, don't let the conversation stop here. Go home, talk to your friends, talk to your parents uh, and, and make this something not at the back of your head that you can just forget about, but you know, bring it to the forefront. Talk about this stuff with, with people who are interested and, and raise awareness because there's power in numbers. And the more people who are on the wave and are educated, educated voters, educated, informed citizens, um, the more powerful we'll be as a country that values democracy. Definitely. Yeah, I, I agree with that so much. And uh, one other thing is, is that we're definitely not trying to say that unions, corporations, these organizations don't have a place in politics. Of course they do because they're part of the nation. They they have a very significant place. But you know, it, it's very important to think about whether the proportion of influence they have 
is equivalent to the proportion of influence right. they should have given exactly. given the political sphere in total. Exactly. Exactly. So on that note, I think that's a good place to conclude for today. And uh, thank you so much for watching. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, yeah. we hope to have you back for the next episode. Thank you.